When I first touched down in Korea, I couldn't help but be awestruck by the towering skyscrapers and the impressively efficient subway lines. Everywhere I looked, the streets were bustling with well-dressed adults who appeared effortlessly put together, making me feel a tad disheveled. As my time in Korea stretched on, I came to realize I didn't find any of the men here attractive. Even if they were objectively good-looking, that spark of attraction was absent. Oh no, do I have some prejudice against Korean guys? Am I racist? As I traveled more of Asia, it became more of a pattern. It wasn't until Sri Lanka that I found myself thinking, hey, he's kind of cute. Upon deeper reflection, a major contrast stood out. Beards. <laughs> Growing up in Canada, where hockey is practically a religion, go Canucks, I had linked masculinity with the presence of a beard. What other subconscious definitions of masculinity do I have? Welcome to Self-Help Junkie, the podcast where we explore the world of personal development through the eyes of book enthusiasts. I'm your host, Erica Ng, communication coach and your resident bookworm. This season, we'll be focused on developing our romantic skills, but before we dive into the conversation with our guest, let's get a one-minute summary of the book. The Way of the Superior Man by David Dita presents a collection of insights on navigating masculinity, relationships, and the interplay between masculine and feminine energies. Dita's foundation is the concept of two core essences, masculine and feminine. While individuals often embody a mix of these energies, there's often a stronger association with one typically aligning cis women with femininity and cis men with masculinity. The book outlines essences as masculinity involving logic, independence, and leadership, while femininity is centered around caregiving, adaptability, and being emotional. Sound familiar? If we made a Venn diagram of essences and traditional gender roles, you'd get a circle. Dita offers guidance for embracing masculinity and effectively interacting with femininity, seeking to strike a balance between pacificity and toxic masculinity. The book chapters are short, featuring hypothetical scenarios that usually end in kisses and tickles. While these snapshots lack depth, Dita's confidence makes them appealing. And with that, let's dive in. Today, we have a very special guest on. His name is Z. He is the host of the podcast Overrated and is a self-improvement enthusiast. He's also here today to give us a sneak peek into the male perspective. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Erica. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. The book that you chose today was The Way of the Superior Man. One thing that I've always been confused with, because I, I live in Bali, people talk about the male and female essences all the time. Could you explain more how those two things are defined? Yeah, definitely. So I think it's productive at first to define the concepts of masculine and feminine away from the Western idea. So I think in Western society, we think of masculine as what? The hyper-masculine, he's got the beard, he's got the big <laughs> muscles, the tank top, he's just the very quintessential idea of what a quote-unquote man should be. And then you have the female who is kind of the dainty little cheerleader type, super girly, just like very delicate. So those are kind of Western concepts of like the man and the woman. And I think uh, this book, The Way of the Superior Man, tries to get away from that and think of the masculine more as an energy source and the feminine as more of an energy source. So specifically, let's I would say the masculine is embodied by an energy of moving towards purpose. It's kind of static. It's grounded. It's blunt. It's straightforward. Mm -hmm. And the masculine ultimately moves towards freedom. Mm -hmm. So then you have the feminine. So the feminine is very 
vibrant, it's dynamic, uh, it can be chaotic, it can be kind of neurotic, and it mm -hmm. always moves in the direction of love. Love is always the answer for the feminine. Mm -hmm. And the idea uh, that David Dita, the author of this book, kind of puts forward is all of us, man or woman, have some sort of combination of the masculine and feminine within us. Just because I'm a man doesn't mean I have more masculine energy than feminine. In mm -hmm. fact, I could have more feminine energy. Me personally, I, you know, through the self-work I've thought about for myself, I've found I'm probably somewhere at 75% masculine, 25% mm -hmm. feminine. But then that's not to say, you know, another man can't be 75% feminine, 25% masculine. Mm -hmm. And then another idea with the, the masculine and the feminine that uh, Dita puts forward is you want to find in your romantic partner the complementary opposite. That would create the most passion, the most excitement, the most love in a relationship. So if I'm 75% masculine, 25% feminine, ideally I would be with a woman who's 75% feminine, 25% masculine, because she would be my complementary opposite in that mm. energy. Okay. So that's kind of a broad overview of the masculine and the feminine in this book. Interesting. So it's it's quite a spiritual uh, idea. Have you always been spiritual in your life? So I, I grew up as Muslim mm -hmm. and there was always a spiritual component within my life. Admittedly, I uh, so I'm not Muslim anymore. Mm -hmm. I've kind of got away from that as I matured and grew into my own uh, concepts and ideas, but I've always mm. had a spiritual interest. But yeah, like I, I've never thought about things in this way. I think, you know, some people may say these things can come off as woo-woo a little, but I do find that it's pretty prevalent in my life, just mm -hmm. the masculine, the feminine energy. I definitely I definitely resonate with it. It's it's interesting for sure. Really? So I mean in your day-to-day -day life, how does this um frame your thinking? It's a difficult I'll, question. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's a great question. So I'll put it like this. When I was younger, so I'm 26 right now. When mm -hmm. I was 19, I got into a relationship with a girl and we were together for five years. So we were together from the age of 19 to 24. Mm -hmm. And um, that relationship came with, you know, it's strengths, it's weaknesses, it's fun and it's not so fun times. But mm -hmm. there was always something about that girl that I found super compelling. I found mm -hmm. like kind of like a gravitational pull. And, um, you know, when that relationship ended, I, I thought, you know, whatever that was, that was probably wrong. That probably wasn't a good thing because when you break up with someone, you kind of demonize, you know, what happened. You're like never doing that again, you know, right. screw that. So I, I started looking for the opposite of what that girl was, my ex. Mm -hmm. And I, I looked for partners who had opposite uh, characteristics and I would always be super upset these last two years while I've been single dating yeah. new people who are the opposite. I'd always be like, there's something wrong. There's something I'm not quite getting. And then upon reading this book, it dawned on me that my ex-partner, although we had many different reasons why we didn't work together, there was a matching in our masculine and feminine polarity. Mm -hmm. And because I'm masculine dominantly mm -hmm. and she was feminine, we got along in that regard. And when I looked for partners who were the opposite of her, I looked for other masculine women, right? And that just drove me crazy. And I always wondered like, what is it? Why is it? And then this book kind of gave me a framework for attraction because I think so often we think about attraction in the form of like, it's kind of this mystical, mysterious thing, right? We try to think of it from the scope of like astrology, like maybe, uh, you know, an Aquarius matches with this and that mm -hmm. matches with that. And I'm not here to say that's wrong or right, but I think attraction is always such a confusing 
idea. And I think the way of the superior man provides perhaps an explanation towards what attracts men and women together, masculine and feminine. I'm not here to say, you know, it's correct, but it's definitely a compelling case nonetheless. And I've seen it in my life in that way. Right. Yeah. Reading the book, it's very different from some of the other self-help books that I've read. So what I mean by that is the way that he writes, he kind of just makes statements without backing it up. And that Mm kind of irks me. I mean, how did you um, take the book? What was it like the first time you read the book? So I, it's funny you say that I completely resonate with, he provides blatant solutions for nuanced problems, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I I think um, one of my gripes is with the book is moving towards a solution with your feminine partner. I think he sometimes, his his solution is that you should come from a place of love, right? You should come Mm -hmm. from a place of innocence and the inner child, and you should approach your woman with that. If your woman is upset, your feminine partner is upset, it's all because she feels a lack of love, which Mm -hmm. I don't think is necessarily incorrect. But I think somewhere where he maybe loses me is he, in a way, kind of creates the feminine to be a child and all they're Mm. looking for is love. Mm. And if you try to solution with them, if you try to ask them what's wrong, if you try to fix the problem, his thesis is that the woman will become more upset because you're moving away from love and you're moving into logic and reason. And I do think there is some reason behind that. But I also think, you know, if I was in a relationship and my partner was upset with me and I just started tickling her and playing around with her, I think to (laughs) a certain, that might come across as kind of like I'm pandering to her a little, you know? Right. So I think that's a little bit of an issue I had, which I agree with you on is it can be a little too uh, conclusive. Yeah. It felt very much like they were giving very shallow advice to something that might be more deeply wrong. Um, one of the examples that my boyfriend and I were giggling over was the, like a man comes back and he's made a million dollars today, yes, yes, but he yes, forgot sorry. the milk. <laughs> And first off, like who makes a million dollars in a day is like, babe, I made a million dollars. And then she's still pissed off that he didn't bring the milk home because she asked him three times and like left a sticky note. It's like, that's because you're not showing up to your partner in the way that she wants you to. I don't know what fantasy world you're living in where tickling her and kissing her and being like, don't worry, I'll get milk is going to fix anything. It feels like a sitcom. Erica, I'm so happy you brought up that specific <laughs> example because that was my most – I had the most issue with that specific situation because, right. yeah, he his wife wanted him to bring home milk and his solution was, I'm going to pick her up and tickle her and spin her around the room. And it's right. like, I, under, I understand where you're coming from. Like that is a loving perspective. But if I was the woman, I, you know, I'm a man, so maybe that's the difference. But I would be like, all right, well, where the fuck is the milk? <laughs> <laughs> like, like this right. great, but like you didn't you didn't tend to my emotion or the problem. So right. I, I definitely I definitely see what you mean by right, that. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's interesting. And it was also interesting the chapter about living as if your father was gone. Um I think that it, it seems like he doesn't have a great relationship with his father because it was like, now you're free. You don't have all these expectations on you. Whereas when my boyfriend read the chapter, he thought the complete opposite thing would happen. So he thought that the advice would be like, live independently. Don't feel like you can fall back on people. Um, live as if your dad was gone and you need to build your own independence. Um, yeah, which was very opposite. 
So your your boyfriend had the opposite interpretation of the yeah. father chapter than he. Okay, yeah. I think because I w- for him, he has such a great relationship with his father that he doesn't like. Even though his dad does have expectations for him, they treat each other like adults, so he can still go on with his life and not live by those expectations and not guide his life by those expectations. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think you hit the nail on the head that um, I think Dita what he's expressing there might be not a great relationship with his father, Mm -hmm. which, you know, may or may not be the majority of people reading the book, who's to say, but, you know, if we're looking at it from the scope of someone who doesn't have a great relationship with his father, I do actually agree with that advice Mm -hmm. because I think the expectation of your parents can be quite crippling Mm -hmm. if, you know, you don't have a great relationship with them. Um, Like I can say for myself, like, not to say I don't have a great relationship with my parents, but I think just traditionally coming from an Indian background and a more Asian culture, but while living in the West, I think my expectation for my, the expectation my parents had of me definitely, I wouldn't say crippled me, but slowed me down a bit and mm-hmm. uh, kind of separating myself from that a little and becoming my own authentic person does help. So I, I, I see both sides of yeah. his point there for sure. Yeah. Well- Going a little bit into your family, so you say that you come from a more, more traditional family and maybe it slowed you down. Do you feel like it affected your relationships? Absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. 100%. So really quick background is I come from uh, immigrant parents. They're they're from India and we moved to the United States when I was two years old. And mm-hmm. we're also, my parents are Muslim. So I came from both an Indian background and a Muslim background. And in that background, there is a kind of a taboo nature around sex and relationships. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is, you know, all my quote unquote white friends, American friends, they all had the bees, uh, the birds and the bees (laughs) conversation, right? Like, this is what happens when a man and woman love each other, use a condom, all these things. And um, I didn't have any of that. And uh, the idea, the concept of a girlfriend or having sex was like scorned. Like if that even came on the TV, the channel would be flipped. Um, (laughs) You know what I mean? And that kind of resonated with me at that age. I I just, I actually, I think because it was such a taboo topic, I became super fixated and interested in it, Mm -hmm. which, you know, my parents probably (laughs) were hoping the opposite would happen. But um, yeah, to answer your question, I think my culture, my tradition probably created me to be more fixated on uh, the things that they actually didn't want me to be uh, that interested in, for sure. Right. I think that's pretty similar to my own experience growing up Chinese, Canadian. Yeah, that I also didn't get the birds and the bees talk, which is why I was laughing so loudly there. And yeah, it definitely... I feel like because I wasn't necessarily heard in my family all the time, I defaulted to boyfriends and getting more intimate, both emotionally and physically, because I wanted to feel seen and understood. And of course, there's a bit of rebellion in your teenage phase. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, with that, you got into a relationship when you were 19 and you were in it for five years. I mean... I don't know that most teenager relationships would have lasted that long. Um, were your parents excited to have you in such a long-term relationship? Yeah. So it's funny you ask. Um, I always give my brother a lot of shit for it because he's older than me 
and he never had a relationship. So I had to break, I had to break <laughs> the barrier and I had to introduce the girlfriend for the first time to my parents. And I was like, dude, this was supposed to be your job. You were supposed to pave right. the way for me. <laughs> so, oh, I mean, Erica, it was such an awkward conversation. Oh, yeah? I, I, so I was 19 and I had brought this girl home and she, she's the complete opposite of me and my family. She's a white blonde sorority girl. <laughs> so mm. it, it's completely opposite. And I remember I sat down with my parents and I said, Hey mom and dad, I'm dating this girl and their jaws dropped on the floor. And my mom says like, Oh, are you, I don't understand. Are you guys going to get married? <laughs> I'm like, mom, like, no, I met her in college. <laughs> we're literally just dating. Like, right. We're like, no marriage is not a thing like right now. So, um, Long story short, like they were extremely shell shocked and they didn't really understand the concept of Western dating. And that was extremely difficult to navigate at first right. because um, boyfriend, girlfriend, like as you know as well, it's just not really a concept in like those Asian cultures. Um, it is more today, but just back then when they were children, when they were growing up, it wasn't. So I think it was just an extremely strange experience for us to navigate. And through those five years, they got much better quite quickly. They learned like, okay, this is, you know, my son's in a Western country. He's going to mm -hmm. act accordingly, but definitely growing pains in the beginning for sure. For sure. And then what about when, I mean, this might be a little painful, but what about when you guys broke up? How was that for yourself? And then breaking it to your family who probably at this point was thinking like, you guys are going to get married and like live happily ever after. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, it was obviously very difficult because I, I think at such a young age, you have a very, you have an object permanence problem when it comes to the future. You just, you think, you know, because I'm with this person, my future is going to be like a certain way. And mm -hmm. that's all I can imagine because my brain isn't even fully developed. I'm, I'm not even 25 yeah. yet. So um, it was, it was just extremely difficult in the scope of changing my perspective on what my life is going to be like, because mm -hmm. I am no longer with this person. I think that's the hardest thing for people who go through breakups at a young yeah, age. Sure. It's just so much change. Um, so that, that was the hardest thing, obviously, you know, the heartbreak and stuff, not fun, but as far as my parents went, so it's interesting. They, they took the stance of not talking about it. Uh, the relationship oh, wow. ended. Yeah. And they just didn't talk about it. My dad talked about it once with me. He said like, how are you doing? You know, I'm like, I'm doing fine going through the motions, but mom never talked about it. Dad, for the most part, never talked about it. I think right. back to the topic of like, just that traditional Asian yeah. Muslim family, it, it's talking about your emotions, letting that stuff flow. It's, it's, yeah, it's a no-go. It just doesn't have, even today, right. It just isn't how it is. Right. Yeah. I think back to the times where my sister and I were upset whenever we started crying. Um, my parents would <laughs> freak out. They, they wouldn't know what to do. Um, this is my sister's story, not mine, but she came home crying from work or school one day because she had a really tough day. She just like closed her bedroom door, went for it. And my parents, this really illustrates who they are. My mom <laughs> comes in and she's like, Hey, stop crying. Crying is not going to help you solve this problem. Stop it. And my sister's like, can you please just leave me alone? Like, I just need to let it out. I'm not bothering anyone. Just let me cry. So my mom leaves. My dad busts in a couple minutes later with a PowerPoint on a stick drive. And he's uh. like, hey, my company paid for this training on like 
handling your emotions in the workplace, maybe oh, it would be no. helpful for you. So like they were trying to help. They obviously want the best for my sister and I, but they just don't have that emotional capacity because they never had parents uh, helping them work through their emotions and let them express it freely. Yeah. I mean, it's such an interesting story. And I think so many people share the exact same <laughs> like experience. And, you know, looking, I think you and I can look back on it and you can almost feel a sort of sympathy for them that they are probably so uncomfortable at that for moment sure. because, because they just didn't know how to deal with it. And they're yeah. like, yeah, I think, I had the same experience. My mom would start yelling at me when I was crying and she'd be like, stop crying. Same thing. It's just like, looking back, it's almost as if like, damn, you just didn't know how to deal with it. That's unfortunate. Right. No, definitely. I think especially with immigrant parents, my parents moved to Canada when they were in college. So they, they were just moving for university and they, from that point on, they were trying to get their visas so that they could get the rest of their family over. And then they started having kids. So they really never had that experience of just worrying about yourself and being able to, I think, find yourself. It wasn't, I was 28 and my mom was like in her fifties by the time she started going to therapy for other reasons. Um, but she was sharing some of the things that she learned in therapy. And I was like, oh, that's exactly what I talked to my therapist about like two <laughs> months ago. So it's interesting to see like once her children moved out, she was able to find space to grow, but it wasn't until she actually had time to focus on herself that she was able to do those things. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's super interesting. And I, I, again, like I've, I've found the exact same situation. It's you you see how much growth your parents have once you're moved out. And mm. it's almost like, damn it! Like, couldn't you, couldn't you <laughs> when, I, when you were, when I was still under the, right. the roof? But yeah, it, it is beautiful to see. I agree. Right, and then for yourself, I I remember you saying in your email that after the breakup, you had time to learn more about yourself and got into self help a little bit. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that part of your journey? There's a common saying. I, I kind of alluded to it earlier is that your brain isn't fully developed until you're 25 and like, God damn it. If I, if I, if I feel that, right. like I just, I was on autopilot from mm. 19 to 24. I, I was a great partner. I was loving, I didn't, you know, do anything bad. It just, it fizzled the way it was. But I think the, the, a big crux of the issue was I was so not self-aware, right. Mm. I just didn't know how to emotionally connect with myself. And I think that's an mm. artifact of both, my upbringing and also uh, the way men are brought up in society today, especially in Western culture, it, it, there's a vi there's very big lack of emotional maturity within men. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily their fault. It's just the way we're raised. You know, when I went through the breakup, I, I realized that I didn't know anything about myself. I didn't know what my personality was. I didn't know what my authentic being was. I was being inauthentic my whole life. Um, I didn't know what like my attachment style was. I didn't mm. know um, what makes me angry. I didn't know anything about therapy. I just, I felt so in the dark about things that I, I can't even, I can't even fathom the fact that I wouldn't know them today. Like, I, I feel like yeah. they're such integral parts of who I am. And to answer your question, I just went on such a big self-improvement journey in learning all these things about myself, all these mm. concepts, entering therapy listening to certain podcasts, reading books. Um, like I said, learning about attachment. It, these are just such pivotal and like prevalent ideas today. So it was a heavily mental and emotional 
self-improvement journey. Exactly. Yep. Um, And you mentioned earlier about how men in society aren't conditioned to express their emotions or to even know how they feel themselves. Um, Like how, how do you see that playing out and what does that look like when they enter society as adults? An important thing to cite is to match.com, the dating app service, they did a study in 2021 Mm -hmm. and they looked at the number one thing women are looking for in romantic partners today for uh, mm-hmm. for men, heterosexual women. Ooh. So yeah, is so it it's, height? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's probably the true answer. <laughs> so it's self awareness and emotional maturity. Mm. Funny enough, so I would say that that is a very you know for keeping it in the scope of the book, that's a very feminine trait. That's a trait mm. that women are kind of born with and fostered throughout. Growing up, women are always talking to each other when they're little girls. They're talking to their moms. They're talking about their feelings. Mm -hmm. It's a very healthy thing. It's a very good thing. But I I think men typically are not. And from my background specifically, I grew up in a very hyper-masculine background. Um, Mm. I grew up with one other brother, a dad, and then a mom who wasn't like extremely Mm. feminine on the outside. And, you know, all my friends were guys. We all played football. We wrestled. And it just never quite felt like there was any space for emotions, mental health, or self-awareness. So that, it was also a time period where those things were actually frowned upon. So, Mm. you know, if you were feeling tired in football, your coach would say, if you're going to puke, you're going to eat your puke. And it's like, (laughs) what is that? Yeah, it's just like, right? It's just like, it's so, it's so counterproductive towards, even if their goal was to be the best football player, it just doesn't make sense. But to answer your question, I, I just, that was all I was around my life was mm. uh, masculinity, hyper-masculinity, perhaps even toxic masculinity. And I, I think that's a lot of what we see in men today. Men are just in those circles. And I think it's starting to break off today. I think mm-hmm. therapy is starting to become more of a common culture idea, which is definitely a good thing. But um, I think we're seeing the growing pains in men today because of that. Right. I think, yeah, I have friends here who are joining men's circles and having those male friends where they're proactively trying to start those types of conversations. Um, but then there's also plenty of my friends who also don't do that. And I mean, loneliness is definitely something that affects men more than it affects women. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. I have a lot of thoughts about loneliness. If mm-hmm. you want to go into that. Yeah, let's um, do that. Again, I think starting with some research is uh, good to establish a framework here. So Pew Research did a, did a study on loneliness in men. Mm-hmm. So they found that 60% of men aged 18 to 30 are single, mm-hmm. while 30% of women aged 18 to 30 are single. So men are single at twice the rate of women. Mm-hmm. Um, 30% of these men, uh, of men 18 to 30, year, 30 years old, have not had sex in the last year. Mm. And then if you want to take it a step further, the number one way men are men and women are entering relationships today is through online means. So either mm. dating apps or social media. Mm-hmm. So here's where it gets very interesting. So dating app users, 80% are male and 20% are female. That's so, insane. And, Yep. And then females swipe on one in every 10 men Uh and men swipe on one in every two women. So there's this person, he did the study, he did a hypothetical study. Uh, It's just a scenario based thing. So he took a thousand dating app participants 
And he wanted to see between men and women, how many likes are they getting on average? Mm. So Eric, I want to play a guessing game with you. Fun. Okay. So on average, the average woman, how many likes do you think she's getting out of a pool of a thousand people? So 500 women, 500 men. Let's say half, like 250. Correct. Yes. The average man receives seven. What? Oh, yep. you guys need more then, compliments. <laughs> 100%. And then let's take it a step further. They did a study based on the attractiveness score of men and women. So kind of a uh, arbitrary scale, but like the one through 10 scale. So mm-hmm. a 10 being a super attractive man or woman and a one being a not so attractive man or woman. So let's take mm-hmm. the average, uh, let's take a four out of 10 man and a four out of 10 woman. So mm-hmm. kind of below average. Mm-hmm. The four out of 10 woman got 78 likes. Mm -hmm. The four out of 10 man got 0.2 likes. Mm. So he didn't get any likes out of the entire batch. Right. So all of this to say that the top 10% of the men are getting 90% of the matches. Mm -hmm. And then the other 90% of men are getting 10% of the matches. It's basically leaving an influx of the mass majority of men today being uh, lonely and isolated because they aren't getting any attention from women because mm-hmm. the studies say that the number one reason men are lonely today is because of their lack of success with the opposite sex women in this mm-hmm. case. So I, I think that is the major reason for the mental health crisis of men today and the loneliness epidemic is there's just such a uh, disparity between success in the romantic sphere of the world. I would like to ask, um, from your point of view, what do you think of male friendships? Because I think women, if they're looking for emotional support, yes, they have their partners, but they may also start looking in their friend circle. I'd say like with me and my girlfriends, we talk at least once a week and we will talk for like hours on end, even though nothing has happened between now and next week. Um, Yeah. And I think that for me, especially when I was single, that's how I fulfilled a lot of my emotional needs. And even if I felt lonely, I could call up a friend at any point. What would you say to that side of things? I I think there's two things. So Mm -hmm. I think for one, that's extremely, that is extremely, extremely healthy that women and yourself in this situation are able to have relationships like that. I think Mm -hmm. men need those relationships too, quite frankly, they just don't have them. Mm -hmm. Um, Most men don't have them. So Mm -hmm. the best way I could describe male friendships is they are very surface level. So they are very, let's do this activity. Let's play golf. Let's weight lift together. Let's play football. Let's share information. Yeah. Right. And there's, there's, there's not so much depth emotionally. Mm. And I think that is fine for a man. If he has a female outlet, whether it be a mom, he's super close to, or a girlfriend or a wife, significant other, but um, male friendships today, they, they don't, they don't fulfill the emotional craving that men have, mm-hmm. unless you are super, super adamant about it within your friendship group. So for example, my friend group, I'm very grateful. They're my friends since I've been in third grade and mm-hmm. we talk about super emotional stuff and, you know, we do it in probably a way that's, you know, quote unquote masculine. We don't get super maybe emotional or heated right. or, but like it, it still fulfills that uh, itch. But I, I think it's sad to say that most men don't have that relationship within their life. And it's extremely hard to find because I don't even know what it is. I think it almost feels like a biological thing, but I think men feel that they are burdening other men when they talk about their emotions and their feelings. 
And mm-hmm. I, I can say that because I kind of feel that too. And it almost feels like deep caveman feeling that like I can't even describe, you know what I mean? Like right. it's, it's just within our psyche. And I think we need to break that. I definitely That's- think that it's not necessarily just a male thing. I think growing up Chinese, my parents never really expressed emotions. It took a lot of work for me to get comfortable with it. I think even within my friendship circles, um, a lot of my female friends share way more than I would ever just because I'm not as comfortable with it. And a lot of the times I feel like I can handle it myself. Like I don't need to share with other people because I don't think it's actually going to help. And yeah, I, I think that in general, women have been like, it's hard to say like every woman because we were children at a lot of these points, but there's been a lot of movement within the female community of furthering ourselves, whether it be trying to break the glass ceiling, becoming more independent, like, I guess, in terms of the masculine feminine, moving more into the masculine. Um, and it's taken a lot of time and effort. And now we're seeing that the, yeah, women are expecting more because they're like, if I'm bringing money to the table, I will also want someone who is self-aware and is able to express themselves emotionally. So I'm hoping to see in the future, in like the next decade, that men's men's issues are more focused on. And this idea of loneliness isn't just finding a woman who will talk to you, um, but also saying like, how can we find this outside of our romantic relationships? I remember a lot of times in high school and then even into my twenties, I had male friends, but every time we talked about emotions or got close in that way, they immediately thought like, oh, I think I have a crush on her. It's like, no, you just don't have anyone to talk to about this stuff. And you're enjoying that. So like for me, I started not talking to my male friends because I didn't want to give them the wrong idea. So there there needs to be this balance between the sexes. Yeah, it's a really good point. And if I'm being honest, I think I don't want to be too harsh about it. But to a certain degree, I think uh, men need to kind of get better as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I need. I think they need help to get better. So what I mean by that is, like you alluded to, I think women have kind of bridged the masculine gap in that they are mm-hmm. now graduating college at higher rates than men. They are moving towards actually making more than men. So they're 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 they are being supported in their in their masculine journey, mm-hmm. and they are also taking advantage of their masculine journey. I think females today women today are extreme go-getters and it's really cool to see. Honestly, I, I think it's great. Um, but then I think from the men perspective, like you alluded to, I think females are now looking at, uh, women are now looking at men and thinking you need to catch up. You need yeah. to get your feminine energy intact. I intact. I want an emotional, emotionally mature partner. I want someone who can uh, feed that part of my soul. And I think it's an okay. I think it's a legitimate ask I think what we're looking at, however, is that men are having trouble getting mm. there. And I think they need the help of women and the help of society to get there because society, when it comes to men and women, can sometimes be a little adversarial. I For think sure. you look at things like uh, social media and TikTok, and it kind of seems like men and women are at odds sometimes. And mm-hmm. it's um, almost like a competition. And I, I don't think that should be the case. I think when women needed help, we 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 went there. We uh, fought for their rights. We fought for wage gap and furthering that. And I think men are kind of a little down on their luck, and they they need help from society now as well. Yeah. And what do you see as 
solutions that would be helpful in supporting men? So I, I think the narrative on men needs to change a little, if I'm being honest. I, mm -hmm. I think there is quite a loud narrative of men are trash. <laughs> and uh, like, I, I think there are men who are trash. And mm -hmm. I think there are also women who are trash. But I think men feel more kicked down in society today than they ever have before. And I, I think they, they need help from uh, women and from men alike to kind of pick them up. I think that's why you see the rise of uh, not so great role models like Andrew Tate and mm. people like that, because these individuals are providing an answer to an angry and hopeless group of men. And um, I think those answers can come from a better suited individual rather than someone like Andrew Tate. I think we as a more balanced society need to pick these people up and help them. So you're saying that like having certain role models, um, do you have any off the top of your head that you feel like portray positive masculinity? I think there are a lot of people. I think specifically for me, I look at people like, do you know who Lewis houses? No, he's a podcaster. He, he's an author and he's a very masculine man who's in touch with his feminine side. So he grew up playing football and he went to college in the NFL, played football, and then he got injured. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, eventually he kind of had to work his way from ground up. And in that, he experienced therapy and all these things. And I, I think there are many men who have lived a similar life who could be a role model. But I think just that balance of being a responsible man who is in touch with his emotions, mm -hmm. whichever role model that embodies that, I think that is the that's the right person to look at. We're coming to the end of the podcast. I want to give you a moment to ask other than what you've mentioned already, is there anything else that you would point to as a resource so that men or women can get more in touch with uh, themselves? Get in touch with loved ones, make mm -hmm. connections. We are, we are a social, mm. we are a social species. We're not meant to be alone. We're not meant to be isolated. There's no, human being within reason that wants to be isolated, that wants to live in complete uh, loneliness, just mm -hmm. make friends, make connections, join a community, um, get into therapy if you can, or just talk to loved ones, learn about yourself, read books. At the end of the day, the more you know about your awareness precedes control. You can't control your life without, um, you know, learning about yourself and being aware. Right. Definitely. And I, I find when I've in the past wanted to learn more about myself, sometimes it's hard to know where to start. Sometimes helping other people is great first. Like for me, volunteering and seeing a world larger than myself gives me perspective on who I want to be. So definitely if you have the time, go volunteer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I a hundred percent agree. I think one of the biggest cures for loneliness is making someone else not feel lonely, mm. making some solving someone else's problems because it gives you in it, indirectly, it gives you hope that the world is a good place and that you are just helping make the world a better place. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, if people are looking for you, where can they find you? Yeah. So uh, you can find me at Spotify at Overrated. You can mm -hmm. find me on Instagram at Overrated underscore pod. And I'll make sure to link all of those in the show description. So it's super easy for people to find. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you, Erica. It was a lot of fun. 
Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed, send this episode to a friend who could use the advice or would have a great lesson. If you have thoughts or tips you'd like to share, please do at Pod on Instagram, Twitter, or Gmail. I'll see you guys next time.